The Black Male Archives, where we capture, curate, and promote positive stories about black men. All right. Welcome back to the Black Male Archives. I'm your host, Rodney Freeman, and I have with me Dr. Webb, Dr. Thurman E. Webb. Sir, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, sir. Thank you for being on the uh, Black Male Archives podcast. And we're talking with you about Rebrand the Black Man. And what we have is Rebrand the Black Man is committed to changing the way the global community views and evaluates the black male. So we just want to talk to you, kind of get your input on how you got it started and share with your 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 experiences and your back, background. We also know that you work for Tennessee State um, yeah. as a professor in psychology and the College of Education. So kind of get, pick your brain um, about the psyche of black males. So can you tell the yeah. listeners about where you're from? And Yeah, I'm originally from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, so um, I started here. I haven't always lived here, but uh, I, I've done a lot of work here. I grew up here. And I came back and uh, started my track in the field of psychology. Um, I started the second part of my academic career here at Tennessee State University. And uh, now I serve as the associate professor of psychology in the professional school counseling program coordinator, uh, as well as core faculty. And uh, I'm just excited to be back here where um, one of my first mentors or advisors, Dr. Peter Millett, uh, he was the person to introduce me into psychology in my undergrad years when I had no direction. And uh, now I actually occupy the exact office that he uh, that I first encountered, Dr. Peter Millett. So it's kind of like a 360 moment for me, even being here at the university. So I'm excited about that. But, um, yeah, so uh, in, in conjunction with all of that and my experience around mental health and uh, what it means to be a black man and the lived nuances of our experience, uh, we launched uh, Rebrand the Black Man. And uh, Rebrand the Black Man as a nonprofit was launched in 2014. Uh, the initial movement started uh, literally on Instagram. And it was on the heels of the the murder of Tamir Rice. Oh. Uh, and that really, um, that particular one, all of them were tragic. All of them impacted me uh, significantly. But it was something about um, the young black boy who was simply playing guns, which I, I had done many times as a youth, you know, cowboys and in Indians or whatever. And to see the video of the officer who literally killed him before the car even came to a complete stop, um, it, it did something to me. And it said there had to be a controlling image in the officer's head that informed his actions. And uh, that started my whole quest to like, OK, so what other images are out there that they that that mainstream America can partake in? And yeah. when I went on that search, simply typing black males in Google, which I think you had referred to yep. you and I were yep. doing something yep. before. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't see it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so true to form, I said, you know what? Well, we're going to create a platform that shows black males and the collage that we are a part of. We are not monolithic. Mm -hmm. And so our whole quest was to, to change the narrative about black men here in America to highlight the things that we have done, that we are doing, and that we will do to make this place a better place. Because we know that without uh, black males' input on a lot of society, we would be uh, significantly behind. So that's how Rebranded Black Men started. And then I, I 
uh, when it was downloaded into me for my higher power, one of the things that I got was it was not for me to hoard. Mm. And so it was for me to uh, open the door to allow anybody to put their hand on it as long as they were trying to push it forward. And so that's what we've done. And we've created a network of black men of all types who are simply just trying to push the narrative forward about the great things we can do and how we have consistently mentored uh, youth and, and, and really all aspects of society into a greater space. So we're just really trying to highlight that. Man, this this is so awesome. And actually, this is really like so timely because before we got on here, I was just telling you a little bit that I was starting to do research on like, you know, uh, black male identity and the type of careers they go into. And I I mean, you just kind of hit the nail on the head basically by saying like being able to see themselves. How much of it is in your studies and in your research? them us black males being able to see ourselves in something um or being able to see uh other black men in certain careers will lead us then to going into to those careers have you found that has that come out in some of your research that you have being yeah, able yeah. to see positive images what what is what does it say what what are you seeing Absolutely. You know, you know, as a professor and being involved in research, I've been a part of, of, of a couple of grants that are looking at how we um, access black males, especially in the STEM field. We get mm-hmm. them access to college. How do we retain them here? And then how do we actually get them to completion? Right. Mm-hmm. What are the nuances of what it takes for that to happen? And what we know is that there there has to be a support system. One of the things that has been very impactful to young uh, minorities, and in this case specifically African-American males and and their ability to complete higher education, is when they feel supported. Yeah. Yeah. Right, when they feel it. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I can have a systemic structure in place and there is actually support structure there, but they have to feel the support, which means they have to have an attachment to that support. Mm-hmm. And that support, is, you know, we call it intrusive mentoring. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is like, it's not, it's not like traditional mentoring where I am attentive to your plight as you go through the academic courses. Intrusive mentoring says, yeah, I'm aware of that, but I'm also aware that you're sending money home to your mother. I'm mm-hmm. also aware that, you know, you may be hanging out with a good group of students on campus that do not necessarily have your best interest. Like, so I'm so involved in those aspects of your life past the content areas that you're here for, that they actually feel the support. And, um, you know, I have my own personal goal is to produce a hundred doctors Mm. in the field of psychology. And what I mean by that is like, I want to make sure that I have a hands-on role in producing more doctors of color. And so right now I'm up to about 35, which is pretty cool. Um, In some shape, more faction, I've mentored them, you know, to get them there. But um, all of them say they like, um, at least half of them, I'll say that. They said, well, Dr. Webb, like, even, I wasn't even going to attempt this track until Mm. I saw you and you said I could do it. Mm. And the reason why that narrative is so powerful, Rodney, is because like research shows also that most people get into leadership or influential roles, not Mm -hmm. because they wanted to, but because someone else looked at them and said, hey, I think you'd be pretty good at that. Mm 
Right. And so I make it my own personal mission, especially because I teach graduate school primarily as a co-factor. So my students are either master's or doctoral level students. But I always keep one undergrad course. And I do that because that's where I actually walk up to students. I say, you know what? You look pretty good with a master's on. You have a Mm -hmm. mind that can do that. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, well, Dr. Webb, man, I never really thought about that. And I tell them, I say, hey, well, just drop by my master's class. Mm-hmm. Drop by this evening and come. And they're like, you going to let me come in a master's class? And I'm like, yeah, you need to you need to see me teaching it. And you need to see other students that look like you in it. And then you need to see yourself being able to comprehend what they're doing on that level already. Mm-hmm. And and almost always when they do that, it just it, like it it does away with the fear that they had about graduate school. Mm. And they say, well, Dr. Webb, you don't look like the traditional professor or, you know, yeah, I get all of that, you know? Mm. And that is the thing because when they can see it, when they can touch it, when they can, they can have a conversation with it, then that is the thing that allows it to become real for them. And that is a, that is a, that is a piece that I got from my mom when I was 10 years old. I come from very humble beginnings. And my mom maxed out her credit cards to take us on a trip to Australia for three weeks. Oh, wow. And the, one of the reasons when we got to Australia, one of the reasons why she did that, is she told me, because we definitely couldn't afford it. She didn't have that kind of income. And yes, it was a dysfunctional way of making it happen, but she did. But she told <laughs> me, she said, I needed you to know that this side of the world actually existed. And the only way to do that was for your feet to touch this ground because mm. she needed me to know that the, the world was at my feet. Yeah. And so I took that same ideology and premise into, into this thing. And so like, it's really big, like for them to see representation in this space. Yeah. Yeah, man. That is so powerful, man. That story, I can definitely see how uh, you are doing the same thing that your mom did to you, that you're doing with your grad students, that you're doing with yeah. your undergrad yeah. students and showing them that other side of the world. <laughs> and see yourself in that. So, man, that is so amazing. And definitely congrats with that. Man, I also want to ask you, OK, so what can what, what do you what can we do uh, as far as helping uh, black males, uh, young and old to to to? to see more images of themselves uh you know we know you have your your organizations but what can we do actively to make sure that they're seeing themselves in a positive light you know one of the things that i tell black males i get that question quite a bit when we go out and, and you know we're having these conversations um do not underestimate the power of an honest conversation or discussion and, you know, uh, I get old guys who, you know, or wise guys, that's what we're calling, right? The, the wiser guys. Yeah. Um, they say all the time, like, man, I try to talk to these young cats and they don't want to listen. And that's and I tell them, I say, that's because you're talking to them. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, like, they want to have a conversation where they feel heard. And we have to really tend to that need. And it's not in all men, but it's in quite a few that I've encountered. Like, we want to fix it. Mm-hmm. We want to solve it. And so when we when we are in that disposition and we're in the conversation with with our youth, like we're trying we're trying to fix them, but you have to recognize that the nuance of of trying to fix something comes along with the judgment that it is broken or that it's not up to par. Mm. And it's, it's that energy that a lot of the youth they don't want to feel that because they feel it in a lot of places. 
Yeah. And so, you know, we do a couple of things when we have our workshop on how you how you just have an honest and open, neutral conversation mm-hmm. and allow that energy of your non-judgment, but your observation, because you're allowed to do that, um, allowing that energy to insert itself into the discussion. A lot of times it humbles uh, the interaction and mm-hmm. it allows uh, youth not to come to it with their defender. Their defender is either trying to establish value or maintain the value that it thinks it has. Yeah. And so then, you know, as long as we stay away from that dynamic in the conversation, we don't have to deal with the disproportionate power play. Mm-hmm. And so I, I tell people all the time, like, well, what can you do? I like, man, just have, sit down and have, have an honest conversation. Listen yeah. to the rationale, right? Because part of the issue is when they think that they only have one option. Mm-hmm. And generally when we talk to them and we create a level of awareness and insight, we're able to help them see like, yo, yeah, that was one option, but you literally had 10 more out there that you could have chose from. You just didn't see them. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I, cause people, you know, it's very rarely do I encounter somebody who's not trying to make the best decision they know how to make. Right. The problem is when they don't see the other options, right? So that, that that's because that, that was the best decision they could make. That does not make it the best decision. Right. And so like, having honest conversations, I'd say that's where you, you should start. Okay. Okay. That man, that's some great advice. You know, I wanted um one of the things that I, I definitely want to to do more of is is talk to uh younger uh, uh black men uh, about their experiences because just like you said, the the older, wiser <laughs> uh, uh black men seem to have some type of disconnect, you know, sometimes. Um, and you, you can actually see it in in, in music. And yeah. uh, I wanted yeah. to hear your opinion and your your thoughts about how you know this in, this music now versus back in what nineties or whatever. How how that actually comes into play of the of the black male psyche. If, if you ha- if you have, I know that that's probably uh we could spend about about an hour on that. Right. <laughs> Exactly. You know, I, you know um, I, I classify some of the music as mindless music. And I don't necessarily mean that in a derogatory way. I just mean like it, it's not geared towards the mental exercise. I definitely do not believe in censorship. And I understand because I have friends who are in the industry, like the importance of expressing and being creative. Like I understand creativity. Right. And I understand the energy that people put in creativity to express themselves. But what we know is that there has been a, a purposeful shift in mindless music because, uh, you know, during my era coming up, when, when hip hop was still working to solidify itself or for that concrete of hip hop to cure, uh, we had the movement of, of public enemy and, and poor righteous teachers. And so there was a, a level of consciousness that was in the music. Even when you went to NWA and those individuals, there still was a level of consciousness about social advocacy and things of that nature that was driving the culture forward. And I think that um, uh, there are entities that saw that as problematic. Mm-hmm. So what we see now, though, is that we, when we remove the guidance from, from understanding, like, you have to be able to critically think and more specifically be able to critically think in critical moments, and when we mm-hmm. remove the guidance and the wiser people from the conversation, that youth are left to come up with it for themselves without the experiences. Mm. And so 
you know, we need to have those intergenerational dialogues. Why? Because the wisdom needs to meet the energy. I tell people all the time, you're not going to find a more vibrant cell uh, of energy than our, in our youth. But yeah. they don't have the wisdom. And our oldest, our, our wise guys, they have the wisdom, but they don't have the energy. Mm-hmm. So we have to find a way to blend the two in order to create a more conscious movement. And that's not to say that there are artists out there that are doing that, but we do know that there are artists out there who are specifically making music that is detrimental to the human beingness that resides mm-hmm. in us. And, uh, you know, in, in, in that regard, you know, I, I tell people all the time that's, that becomes the, the, you know, the fork in the road or the devil sell, you know, buying somebody's soul so they could play the fiddle real well. Like that story right. is still alive. Right. You know what right. I mean? It, it just, it just has a different iteration, but it is the same story. Man, Dr. Webb, you took me to class today. I learned something, sir. I want to say, I appreciate that. Man, this is really good. Can you tell the listeners, you got any projects that you're working on, anything that you want to promote right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in June, uh, the book will be out. It is Center Person, A Guide to Increasing Your Awareness. Um, you can follow us at Rebrand a Black Man um, across social media, rebrandablackman.com. You can follow us at Centered Person across uh, social media as well as centeredperson.com. But uh, that book is about, it's just a guide on how we increase our awareness so that we start to make better decisions in our own best interest and that actually impact the collective in a positive way. And uh, it's kind of uh, hinged on my own experiences, but also the insight that I've been able to use as I've talked to many CEOs across uh, the, the globe, to be honest, and, and people who have performed at high levels across in their profession. So I just wanted to take some nuggets out of those places and put it in a book and allow uh, people to kind of just chew on that for themselves and get the nutrients that they feel they need. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, you know, before we go, too, we also we can't leave without talking about how there uh, is a history that was made at Tennessee State with the with the Grammy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and that, Absolutely. That, that is amazing. An HBCU making history with with uh, getting a Grammy. Um, how's everybody there? Is everybody excited about that? And we, we are bubbling over with joy. You know, Professor Jenkins over there, one of the band directors is my guy. We've done some stuff yeah. with young men on campus. And, uh, you know, he, this was one of his, his projects. He's like, yo, you know, it, it's for us to have the storied history that we have here at Tennessee State University, mm-hmm. have produced some prominent people across the globe. Um, he's like, you know, and for our band to be well known since its inception here, at Tennessee State University. He's like, we have to find a way to stamp this greatness. And he went on a flat-out, uh, all-out drive to make this happen. So kudos to him and kudos to the to the music and band department uh, for pulling that off. And they were able to pull in Dallas Austin and some other major producers who are in the field and, and actually capture a moment of our greatness. And I want to be clear about that. They were able to catch a moment of our greatness. They right. didn't like Because we've been great for a while, they were able to capture that and put it down and when you like that is the reason why uh these ideas around the grammy have popped up because they captured that greatness not because they created it but kudos to them for for wanting to you know attempt to bottle it up and they definitely are doing the things to keep it going so yeah i I celebrate them also also man well sir dr thurman e webb thank you sir for being on the black male archives podcast where we capture 
curate and promote positive stories about black men, which you are one of. Thank you again, sir. We got to follow up with you. Uh, have a ton of more questions. I want yeah. to keep it short and simple because I didn't want to go two hours in. <laughs> so, no worries. I appreciate you having me, man. And like movements like yours, um, you know, they compliment and, and, and support uh, what Rebranded Black Man is all about also. I tell people all the time, we are not in competition. We are here to highlight every other entity that is pushing the collective forward. So when I see that, I generally tell people and I will tell you, thank you for keeping up and holding up the brand. So uh, yeah, man, kudos to you, man, and blessings to you. I appreciate it, man. The same to you, man. Again, thank you for being on the podcast and you have a good night. We'll follow up with you later. All right. All right.